Welcome to Development's Entrepreneurial Lit Series Podcast. My name is Ade Takumba Oludare Thompson. You can say that 10 times fast. Entrepreneur, developer, and director of community involvement at Development. Development is a global 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit organization that addresses the lack of black generational wealth through culturally specific entrepreneurial and financial education that empowers black college students to overcome socioeconomic barriers and build generational wealth. To learn more about development, check us out at www. Development.org and follow us on Instagram at D I F F V E L O P M E N T. The goal of the series is to give you, the listener, the opportunity to gain insight into important business best practices and inspiring entrepreneurial journeys that inherently educate on the unique ways in which startups get started and the incredible level of grit successful business ownership requires. Before I tell you about our featured speaker, I would like to thank our official Entrepreneurial Lit Series sponsor, Kearney Bank Foundation. Thank you guys. Please note, the content you hear on this podcast whether as a live audience member or a listener through any audio, audiovisual, or other platform, is for informational purposes only and may not be considered and has no intention of being considered legal, tax, accounting, investment, or other advice on which you or anyone else may rely. Please note that the opinions of the featured guest and any other speaker are not and do not represent the opinions of development or any of his directors, officers, employees, or affiliates. Now for our phenomenal speaker. Lily is the president of Lily & Kentor PC. She focuses on providing estate tax, business planning consultation for New York and New Jersey and DC clients and business owners. Her major responsibilities include client-facing meetings to discuss estate tax reduction techniques, tax planning, business succession planning, general estate family planning, retirement planning for small business owners, and hosting educational seminars. Lily is also a member of the New York, New Jersey, and D.C. Bars and serves as president of the National Bar Association's tax section and is a member of the Office of General Counsel for the National Bar Association. In addition to being a public speaker, she volunteers for the National Association of Black Accountants and the Junior League of Brooklyn. She's currently earning her Master of Tax Law, LLM, from Georgetown University Law Center. She has already earned her JD from Seton Hall University School of Law MBS from Rutgers University, New Brunswick. Everyone, without further ado, give a hand, round of applause for Lily Inketa! Turn that music up, please. Let's go.
and only because I said something in the elevator. It wasn't even like a deep dive conversation in the elevator. And he was able to give me her contact information. So I call her. And you know how we are when we call someone who we think is like far away. We're like, oh my God, let me not waste this person's time. Let me get to the point. I probably only have 12 minutes. Let me get to this. Let me get to this. I was on the phone with her for an hour. Because instead of me speaking to someone who I felt like it was above me, it was a conversation of equals. And she was pouring love and support into me. And the biggest thing she told me during that hour conversation was, Lil, whatever it is you want to do, have the audacity. Have the audacity. And it spoke to me. I mean, I've heard the word audacity and audacious before, but something about the way she said it to me made me feel like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I went home and I wrote audacity on a post-it note and I stuck it on the bathroom door. So now let's talk about what audacious really means. We'll pull it up so that we make sure that we're all talking about the same thing. Audacity, boldness or daring, especially with confident or arrogant disregard for personal safety, conventional thought, or other restrictions. So let's get rid of the personal safety because I don't think anyone here is swimming with the sharks. We're not like doing any of that. So we'll go back to it and we'll remove that. Audacity, boldness, or daring, especially with confident or arrogant disregard for conventional thought or other restrictions. So she's essentially telling me, Lil, whatever it is you do, you have to be bold. You have to disregard conventional thought. You have to go against the grain. And always remember that the grain isn't just what those people out there are saying. Sometimes the grain is your own conditioning. Sometimes you have to go against the grain of your own conditioning. Sometimes you have to go against the grain of your own fears. Sometimes you have to go against the grain of your own failures that left you a little beat up and bruised. Now you're a little scared to go back out there and do it again. So you have to go against that as well. So I want to start with the definition of audacity because that is the theme of our conversation today. And I know that I'm the person that's sitting up here, but this is a conversation, especially when Dari comes back up and we have a Q&A. Uh, this is a conversation, and I think audaciousness is a theme here because in my experience as an estate planning attorney, audaciousness is tied to wealth. And let me say this. I say a lot of things off the cuff, so if you don't write it down and you ask me to repeat that thing, I cannot repeat it. I've tried, and I've just given up on that. So if something speaks to you, jot it down, make a bullet point about it, and then if you repeat it to me, then I can, it'll jog my memory. So audaciousness is tied to wealth because wealth is not accidental. It's not accidental. I've been doing this type of work for 13 years, probably this summer will be 14. Um, and wealth is not accidental. You have to have an audacious, bold, strategic vision in order to create wealth. That's the experience that I've had with all of my clients here. So even if sometimes the cash that you've come in contact with is random, for instance, I, I used I had a client a long time ago who just won the lottery, 275 million, Ooh. out of nowhere, right? Um, a client created an app that turned out to be bigger than he expected it to be. Um, I've had a client that had a one-hit one. Well, technically he was a two-hit wonder. <laughs> um, had a two-hit wonder. So, and even in those instances where cash seems to come out of nowhere, it might seem random, but wealth is still a plan. So the seed might be random but the tree is purposeful, right? 
The roots are purposeful. The trunk is purposeful. The branches and the leaves are all purposeful. So I like to talk about audacity because you have to have a strategic vision and be bold enough and buck the trend in order to make that happen. So don't think that wealth is just something that accidentally happens. So I've been in a planning attorney for 13 years, and I've had clients who, I remember the first, my first client, he, this was back in the day when I guess kiosks in the mall were really popular. So he had a cell phone kiosk, and that's how he was a millionaire. And I looked at him like, do you know the debt that I have from law school right now? You tell me you have a cell phone kiosk? And these are the kiosks that we all avoid when you're walking through the mall and you're like, don't make eye contact. I don't want any lotion. I don't want any vacation packages. And he made a million dollar business out of a cell phone kiosk. I had another client who liked beer in Portland, Oregon, and he decided to start a brewery. And it was really small. And then when I touched base with him four years later, it was worth $175 million. Okay. All right. So as I'm talking to them, I'm thinking to myself, Lily, you made a terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> what are you doing in school? And then there's another person who um, bought T-shirts wholesale from China and would put a company logo. So if Bank of America wanted to have swag for its employees, they would call this person to just put the BOA logo or Bank of America on the sleeve, and he was buying shirts for $2 and selling it for 25 that's how he became a millionaire. Now he's gone on to other and bigger and better things. But I say these examples because I want you to know that it's strategic. You have to have a vision for your brewery. You have to have a vision for your cell phone kiosk. You have to have a vision for whatever company logo t-shirt you want to create. So none of my clients are accidental millionaires. Even the persons who inherited money still have a responsibility to manage it. And that's not on accident either. So I don't want anyone to get the impression that wealth is just, it's available, but you have to have a strategic vision in order to avail yourself of it. Just because something is available doesn't mean it's going to happen for you. There's a difference between available and availing yourself. So that's why I think it's important to talk about strategy and being audacious about these types of things. And we'll get into business and being an entrepreneur later, but I want to start with a couple of other things because... I understand that not everyone is going to be an entrepreneur, and that's okay, especially in this day and age where you see it everywhere on social media. Everyone makes you feel like you're dumb for having a nine-to-five, right, or you're ridiculous. That's not true. I, I've learned a lot from my nine-to-five corporate job, so I don't want to give the impression that it's not important. So let's talk about some other things that we can do first to build wealth before we get into the entrepreneur stuff, because how many of us are building a business or are thinking of building a business? Wonderful. So we're still going to talk to you all, but we're also going to talk to the people who say, listen, man, right now I really love my 401k, and I make sure that I'm the first one in the office and the last one out, and that's okay too. So let's talk about that sometimes wealth is just preservation. There's four, there's four pieces. Again, you can take notes. Four pieces. The first one is preservation. Sometimes how are you managing the thing that you have? And that's where I and my firm comes in, especially because estate, leg estate planning is about growing, preserving, and passing it on slash legacy, right? So let's use that seed analogy that we spoke about earlier. You have a seed. Now it's time to grow it. You want to turn it into something big, beautiful, amazing, bold, and all of that stuff. How do you grow it? What investments do you put it in? 
What crazy decisions do you stay away from? You know how many clients call me and say, I heard about this stock and I heard about this and my cousin said that. I said, stop listening to your cousin. He does not know anything. <laughs> okay? So you have to be careful about where you're putting your money. So the first portion of creating wealth is just preserving what you have. If you have $10 today to your name, how do you make sure the $10 stays there tomorrow? And maybe it's $10.75. And maybe at the end of the week, it's $11.15. And maybe at the end of the month, it's $15.17. That's preservation. It doesn't have to be this really large, gargantuan goal. Sometimes it's just preserving what you currently have. So if we're taking the analogy of the seed, we're growing it, we're planting it, and we're growing it. And now you have to figure out how much risk am I willing to take in order to take this thing to the next level? Where am I willing to put my dollars, if you will? So now you have this tree and you've grown it, right? So now you have to preserve it. I'm, I'm, you know, if you're a landscaper, you're pulling up the weeds, you're pruning the leaves, you're pruning the branches so that they don't get destroyed in a hurricane and all of that stuff. That's the same analogy when it comes to your financial and your estate plan. How are you pruning and tweaking it on a... I would say at least quarterly basis. If you want to stretch it out to biannual, that's fine. But at least on a quarterly basis, you should put all of your money and all of your accounts in an Excel sheet and look at it and see if you can spot a trend. I did that for a year, and my trend was uh, work clothes. I spent a lot of money on work clothes. I just like to be fly. I mean, it's not my fault. That's right. <laughs> but it was my fault. I'm serious. So I did the analysis and I was able to see where my money was going. So that's part of my preservation process. That's part of my pruning process. And then lastly, once you have gotten the seed, you've grown it, you've preserved it, who gets it? You can't get it when you're gone. No one is going to put your house keys in your coffin with you. No one is putting the last statement for your Bank of America account in the coffin with you. You cannot take it with you when you're gone. Where does it go? Who gets it? When did they get it? And a lot of times people talk to me about estate planning and they say, I don't think I need to do that because I don't have anything. And I say, don't get caught up on the value of the thing. If what you have is a Toyota Tercel and you want to make sure the Toyota goes to your daughter and not your son, that's estate planning. Don't. It doesn't matter that the Toyota to sell may be worth $1,500, right? If you care about who gets your stuff, when they get your stuff, and how they get your stuff, that's estate planning. We can talk about the value of the items later, but what's important is you built up something, right? So who gets it when you're not here? And these are the five documents that you're going to need in order to take something, uh, grow it, preserve it, Pass it on. Firstly, a will. Who in here has a will? Wonderful. Terrible for the rest of you. But wonderful for you, sir. So I think most persons don't have a will because they're thinking to themselves, one, I don't have a lot of assets. Two, perhaps you're not married yet. Three, perhaps you don't have children yet. And I get it. If that's the phase that you're in, don't freak out too much just because you don't have a will. But keep it in the back of your mind because it's important. A will is going to give your family or whomever you choose, it doesn't have to be your family. Some of us don't have the warmest and fuzziest relationships with our family members and we're not going to necessarily trust them to wrap up our estate and that's okay. Your will is just giving someone a set of instructions, right? This is my stuff. This is my iPad. This is my microphone. This is my stand. This is my bottle of water. I wanted to go to Essie. That needs to be in writing. 
I have a lot of gifts, but talking to the dead is not one of them. So I need to help you put it in writing so that we know what to do with your stuff when you're no longer here. And if you don't have a will, that's cool, but the state of New York or the state of New Jersey will give you one. And it's going to be super generic. It's going to say, oh, Brian was married, give it all to his spouse. The state of New York doesn't know that Brian and Melissa have been estranged for 15 years. Okay? The state of New York does not know that Melissa may not be good with money. Or I might say, oh, Brian's not married, give it all to his kids. The state of New York doesn't know that Brian's kids have a drinking problem. They're just going to give Brian the general boilerplate will that they give everyone who dies in their state. So be careful about being specific about who gets your stuff, when they get your stuff, and how they get your stuff. And that's the purpose of a will. It doesn't have to be super complicated. You can change it at any time. Um, you can make anyone the executor of your will. Usually when persons are married, they make each other the executor. But if you trust your mom more, that's cool. If you trust your sister or your sibling more, that's cool. If you trust your best friend, if you trust the attorney who drafted it more, that's also cool. All you want to know is, I trust you to follow the instructions that I've put in writing. You can't just do whatever you feel like doing, right? You have to follow the instructions that I've placed for you. And that's the purpose of the will. So I have a lot of clients who are always asking me not only to create the will, but to update the will as life changes happen. I got married. I got a divorce. I like my kids. I do not like my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happens, they're calling me and they're asking me to address it. And I'm there to uh, be an attorney as well as a part-time psychiatrist. I should have gotten a dual degree in Rutgers. Um, so that's the will. The next thing is the trust. And people will ask me, do I need a trust if I need if I have a will? And the answer is, it depends. If you want to have what I would call long-term distributions, then have a trust. Because a trust is basically saying, I'm giving you this thing, but I'm not giving you this thing right now. Maybe you're too young. Maybe you're not good with money. Maybe you're marrying someone that I'm not particularly in love with. Right? So I want to keep this in my family. I want you to have access to it because I love you and I care about you and I want you to have more than I had, but I'm not just going to give it to you right now. A will gives Brian, I don't know who Brian is, this is my hypothetical person. My will gives Brian this Poland Spring all at once. And we wrap up the estate, we're done, we don't want this thing to linger on forever and ever. But my trust says, I'm going to give this to you, Brian, but I'm only going to pour out a little bit every year. Maybe I'll give it to you when you're 21. Maybe I'll give you some more when you're 31. Maybe I'll only give it to you if you're going to use it to water roses and not water tulips. Tulips. I only know roses. <laughs> I'm going to give it to you little by little, Brian, because I don't want you to have the whole thing outright. So if you feel like you have something that you want someone to have over a long term, then you learn lean towards the trust. But if you don't mind them getting it outright, then you can leave it in a will. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the will is going to be quick and dirty. I want to get this over with as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And the trust is going to be, I'm going to hold this on in perpetuity. And now trust can last a very long time. In the state of New York, you can have a trust that lasts for 99 years. Mm -hmm. So I have a client who has two Brooklyn properties, which have skyrocketed in value, as you can imagine. And she wants her daughter to be able to live in it and maybe even rent it, but she doesn't want her daughter to sell it. 
So because she has that more long-term, she wants to control from the grave, as I say, um, we're going to put that property inside of a trust. Because if we just give it to her daughter, then if her daughter is sued, then they have access to that Brooklyn property. If she gets a divorce, her future ex-spouse could have access to that property. If she just wants to sell it and go on a, a Vegas binge, which I've been to Vegas a few times, I'm not quite sure what the big deal is. But if you want to go to Vegas and go on a binge, then she could do that as well. Mom wants to protect these two beautiful brownstone properties that she's been holding on to for the past 22 years and has seen it quadruple in value, and she understands the value of um, property. So because of that, we're going to put it in a will, excuse me, a trust. So you have the will, you have the trust. Then we have some documents that just say, hey, when I can't do stuff, you can do it for me. So you have the power of attorney. When I can't make financial decisions on my behalf, you can do it for me, right? So husband, um, when I, if I become incapacitated, this is what I need you to do. You can have access to all the checking account, all the savings account, all the whatever. I remember I had a meeting. This is why I say I'm a part-time psychiatrist. I was with a husband and wife team, and um, she said, I, I don't think he needs to have all of that power. And he said, why can't I have all of the power? She said, it's my money. <laughs> just straight up, it's my money. So I said, well, let me just get out of here. It's time for me to hit the dusty trail. And I just felt so uncomfortable because he felt like she doesn't trust him. But what she was trying to basically say is, I don't trust your sister. That's what she was trying to say, right? So what she essentially did was we created a power of attorney for her, but it, it didn't give him all the powers because a power of attorney is very powerful. If I give this power to Brian right now, he can technically go to Bank of America and take money from my checking account. There's nothing wrong with me, right? I'm not incapacitated yet because I give him the power instantaneously. He can do stuff now. And she did not feel comfortable with that with respect to her husband's authority. So we scaled it back a little bit, made it a little bit more restrictive, said you can only do it if she's incapacitated. You can only do it with respect to her private financial stuff, not her business stuff, because she also had a business that her husband wasn't a part of. So you see you have a lot of moving parts, but the essential essence of the power of attorney is I can't make financial decisions on my, by myself. I can no longer make contractual decisions by myself. Can you step in and handle that for me? And the corollary or the flip side of that is the healthcare proxy. I can't make medical decisions on my own. Why not? Maybe I'm suffering from Alzheimer's. Maybe I'm in a coma. Maybe I'm under very heavy medication and whatever I'm saying, I'm just talking like SpongeBob SquarePants and nobody's understanding me. So I need you to come in and be my agent, if you will. So the healthcare proxy and the power of attorney are very similar, but one's dealing with financial and the other one is dealing with health. And then you also have the living will, which is built into the healthcare proxy, but the living will is more like I'm on my deathbed. And if the doctors say I have six months to live, do this. If I have six days to live, do that. Um, keep feeding me water or keep feeding me food or don't feed me water or don't feed me food. Um, if I have a heart attack, resuscitate me. Do not resuscitate me. Take me off the feeding tubes and allow me to just pass away naturally or keep me on that for as long as possible. You have a right to dictate your end of life instructions. That's more of what the living will is about. So those, there's a lot more complicated estate planning documents, but the will, 
the trust, the power of attorney, the healthcare proxy, and the living will are the five most common, the five most basic. If you are young and married, have a will. If you are old and married, have a will. If you have kids, have a will. I'm trying to give scenarios because sometimes people feel like, I don't think this applies to me. It does. If you're married, have a will. If you have children, have a will. If you have something that you want to control from the grave and you want multiple generations to benefit from it, then have a trust. And then power of attorney and health care proxy is for everybody. Everybody. Because statistically, between now and age 65, I'm more likely to become disabled than I am to die. So then who's managing my stuff? Who is going to wear my nice clothes, okay? Mm -hmm. I need to know what's going to happen to this stuff. Or sometimes I run into people who say, do I, do I need to do any of this? I don't really care. And to that person I say, perhaps you and I aren't even talking the same language. Because if you don't care about what you've built and you don't care about the people that are left behind, then I don't know if I have a, an elixir for you. So if that's your mindset, then that might be a whole different conversation that we'd have to take offline. But if you care about who's getting your stuff, when they're getting your stuff, and how they're getting your stuff, then the plans that we would put together for you are, are perfect for that. Question, uh, maybe not questions now, but does that make sense? Yes. So those are the five documents. So I like to start off with that because it's all in the, the vein of growing, protecting, preserving, and creating a legacy. It's not always I have this... $175 million brewery out in Portland, Oregon. Sometimes it's, I have my home, uh, I have my 401k, and I have you know my two cars in the garage, and I want to make sure someone gets that. If that's you, that's totally fine. We can put together a plan, or you can work with anyone to put together a plan in order to do that. And I'm glad I mentioned 401k because it reminded me of something. There are things that pass by contract and things that pass by law. So all of the things that I've just stated and shared with you all, those are things that pass by contract. Those are things, well, let me say it another way. They're things that pass by contract, law, and, and agreement, if you will. So things like who's the beneficiary on your life insurance, who's the beneficiary on your 401k, your pension plan, those things are contracts. Those trump everything else, right? They trump everything else. And I'll give you an example. So I have a client who was married for a few years and then remarried to someone else, right? So when he was married, he had a 401k and his former spouse, the first spouse, was still the beneficiary of that 401k and still the beneficiary of the life insurance policy. But he got married to person number two, we'll call her Amanda, Monica's number one, Amanda's number two. He dies and Amanda's like, where's the life insurance, where's the 401k? You saw me suffering? Um, thank you. So she's asking, okay, where's the life insurance and where's the 401k? It went to the first spouse. He had a will that says everything that I have should go to my second spouse, but the will does not trump the contract. Okay? So contract comes first. So because uh, Monica was named the beneficiary of the 401k and Monica was named the beneficiary of the life insurance policy, she got it. And she was not, she was not sharing, okay? Which, you know, some would say, oh, that's not very nice. You know, that wasn't his intention. But um, death and money changes people very quickly. I have a
have a lot of clients who say, my, I don't need to put this in writing. My sister knows what to do. My best friend knows what to do. My spouse knows what to do. And one, they don't. They don't because most persons don't have these types of conversations. Okay? And two, if they do, they're probably frantic and frazzled because they're grieving your loss. So that's probably not the best time to put all of these weighty financial responsibilities on them. So don't take for granted that they'll be able to pick up the baton and do all of that. So if you have contracts and you uh, get married or someone dies or you have a children, go back in and change that because that is going to be the first measuring stick. That's what the courts look to. So now we have one of four. The first thing was you can create wealth simply by preserving what you have. The second one is just debt management and eradication. And everybody knows about this. And I'll tell you a story. I used to live in Dallas for about four years before I moved to Brooklyn in 2017. So I was there for maybe 2013 and 2012 to 2016 or 2017. So while I was there, I thought, this is it. I'm here. Um, everything here is cheap. I better stay down here. And I bought a home. And then, you know, we make plans and God laughs. So eventually I, I decided I needed to come back to the Northeast, so I sold my property. So I sold my property for a good amount of money, and I said, okay, what am I going to do with the money? And I thought to myself, well, I could give it to my parents. They have some financial things going on. I want to help them out and be a good daughter, right? I thought, well, I should give myself a nice car. That would be nice. Or I should go on a really lavish vacation. That would be nice. But I decided... Someone, I had a bully that was really bothering me for a long time, and her name was Sally Mae. And she was in my checking account faithfully every 28 days. And I said, oh, she found me again. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get her off of my back. And that means every single penny that I just earned from the sale of this home is going to go towards her. And it felt, it didn't feel fantastic writing the check, but once I saw that she was no longer coming for me, that felt wonderful. That felt wonderful. And I'll stop here and give a quick commercial. Sometimes wealth and legacy building is not just how much you leave someone. It's also just not leaving your family with debt. Sometimes it's just not leaving them with debt. So I said, if I can get rid of my debt, then I'm in a better position to help my children not have debt of their own. So I decided to get rid of it. And, you know, there were some people, including my manager at the time, who said, don't do that. Um, education is good debt. And I was like, I don't even understand those words. What does good debt mean? What does that mean? I owe someone something, and the longer it takes me to pay them back, the more I have to pay. Where is the goodness in that? Somebody, I was pulling up dictionaries, and I was trying to figure out where's the good debt in that. And I get what he was saying because it's, it's good debt because it doesn't look negatively on your credit report, but it was still bothering me. If something is still bothering you, you can't rationalize it away by calling it good debt, right? It was still bothering me. And that same person has now gotten rid of his debt after you're trying to talk about me. Um, so I got rid of the debt, and it felt wonderful. And I don't know if anyone has ever paid off a debt, whether it's a credit card or a personal loan or just your cousin. <laughs> Once you pay it off, it feels so good and feels so free. So the second part of creating wealth in our communities, in addition to having a good estate plan, is just managing your debt. So I use myself in this as, as an example because um, there was a lot of pressure to like give the money to family 
and I know a lot of us run up against that. Like the good thing is to help the mom and to help the grandmom and all of that stuff. And I have to tell my parents, I know you guys are having some things going on, but for the benefit of your grandchildren, I need to do this. And then they stop the blacks after I said grandchildren. <laughs> use them, use them. Um, <laughs> so I said, for the benefit benefit of your grandchildren, I need to do this because I'm not going to get out from Sally Mae because she really has me in a chokehold for the next 30 years. And that's pretty ridiculous. So I decided to get rid of that. Another, another thing you can do is um, debt management is also as simple as not adding new debt. Every once in a while, I put myself on a cash diet. I go at the beginning of the month, I'll take I try to be realistic, but I'm never really realistic. I probably should bump it up a little bit more. But let's say for the month of March, I take out $650, $650, and that's what I have to spend for the month. Separate my, um, my major bills, like uh, my rent and all of that. I put myself on a cash diet and say, well, is this thing worth $32? Because you only have $150 left. And it forces me to figure out how important this thing is to me. Because Amazon is the devil. <laughs> Amazon Prime. <laughs> Amazon Prime is the devil because you it's, it's, it's a swipe. It's a swipe. It's a swipe. And things show up by the end of the day, the next day, the, the next evening. And you're just like, this is amazing. And I swipe and I swipe. And then when I see the end result at the end of the month, I'm like, you're dumb. You just spent, what did, what did you just buy? Was that a, two cases of Poland Springs? For what? It's just you in this apartment, right? So I try to put myself on a cash diet because I know it's very easy to swipe your life away and not realize what you're really giving away when you do that. And so we can get into more complicated stuff offline, but I wanted to give general stuff because I'm not sure where everyone is in their financial life. But I have found that paying off debt sooner than later and then also putting yourself on a cash diet is one of the best ways to manage your debt. So that's the second pillar of creating wealth in our community. One, having a really good estate plan, and two, managing your debt, even if it means that you can't take care of other people, because a lot of us are put in a position where we have to financially care for parents, grandparents, cousins, siblings, and there's this culture of give to other people first before you give to yourself. And I am in the constant habit of bucking that culture to the point where sometimes people call me selfish and it sometimes can make me feel badly. But I have to get over that because no one is paying my rent. Someone gave me a great analogy. They said there's no bunk beds in the grave. You go there by yourself, right? So if I'm struggling financially, I'm probably going to do it by myself. Not many bailouts are waiting for me, right? So that's why sometimes we have to be selfish. So even if you come into a windfall, it doesn't mean that that's when you buy your mom a house. Not all the time, not right away. Take care of your debt first. Third thing, third thing excuse me. Sometimes wealth is property ownership. And I know we talk about this all the time, and it's easier said than done, especially in the Northeast. I was able to purchase my first home in Dallas, Texas, to be honest, not here in, in New York or New Jersey, right? although I'm currently working on it. So I purchased this home, and um, I think I purchased it for maybe 133, 135,000. So if anyone's looking to move to Dallas, that's one of the reasons. It's probably the only reason. No shame. Um, 
So we're looking at a gain of about $70,000. And when you have a primary home that you lived in for more than two years, all of the gain is tax-free. So the feds aren't coming for it. The state of Dallas did not come for it. There's no local locality or principality or municipality that came for it. It was all mine, right? So that is wealth in and of itself. So I decided to, you know, use the wealth to pay out Sally Mae, but I could have used that wealth to reinvest it in something else. You have to figure out what's right for your portfolio, right? And the, or, or I could have rented it out. I was, I was scared. Maybe in hindsight, I probably could have kept the property and turned it into rental income property, but I was scared of being a long-distance landlord. I was like, I don't have time for this. Like someone calls me at 2 a.m. to talk about the toilet. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Roto-Rooter, right? <laughs> so I didn't want to get into the hassle of being a long-distance landlord. But if I wanted to, I could have, and that would have created wealth for me as well. So whether you have property that you live in and you watch it accumulate in value, or you have property that you um, make as a rental, that works too. Also, don't be afraid to do it with other people. My brother and I, his name is Jerry, we're thinking of purchasing property that we can live in one part and rent the other part out. So don't feel like you need to do it all on your own. And maybe if the two of us don't have it, maybe it's me, him, and my mom, me, him, and my dad. Um, community pooling is extremely valuable, especially as resources feel or look to be limited, don't feel like I have to do it all on my own. And you might have a buyout agreement. I got into this conversation with my brother and I said, we can go 50-50, but in X number of years, would you be comfortable with me buying you out? Have that conversation with your loved ones. You don't have to do it all on your own. And if you like to have 100% ownership, set it up so that in the future, one or both of you will be 100% owner, if for some reason that's important to you. So it's very flexible, this whole ownership thing. Um, fourthly, and I think this is my favorite, which is why I leave it for close to last, it's investments. I want to talk about money and investments and first point out that money and wealth is emotional. We can get into all of the Chicago school business economics and all of the formulas and the commas and the decimal points, but above all else, money is emotional. Money is very emotional, right? So, and I say that because I've sat with clients who are wealthy, but for some reason don't believe they deserve to be wealthy, and so they figure out all sorts of ways to sabotage themselves. Just unconsciously, it's like they're sleepwalking, they're sabotaging themselves because someone told them they're not deserving of success or money or wealth, right? Or I have people who are successful and they believe that they deserve it, but because of backgrounds that were, they have poverty-stricken backgrounds, they now have a fear of loss. So now they're holding on to it like this. They're super stiff, super stingy. You're like, relax. And you're like, I am relaxed. <laughs> like, that's not what relax looks like, right? So they're very stingy and scared about it. So, And they don't realize that stinginess pours over to other areas of their lives. So they're stingy emotionally and they're stingy spiritually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have to talk to them. This is why I said I should have gotten doctor, right? <laughs> so money is emotional. And then I have my own emotions with respect to money. I have a fear of losing money because I've always been told that money does not grow on trees. And when you have the mentality that money does not grow on trees, you hoard it. You can't, you're like, 
You're guarding it for your life. You're like a gargoyle parched on the top of the building watching your money. Like, please don't go anywhere, right? That's how I was with my money. And in 2017, I met with a brand new financial advisor when I moved to New York. And she looked at my portfolio. She pulled it up and did all of the math. And she said, why are you not investing in the stock market? I'm like, I am investing. She's like, yeah, you're investing in your 401k. But why are you not actively investing in the market? And um, I said, well, I don't think I have the bandwidth to do that. And she pulled my card and made me realize I really do have the bandwidth. And that's when I had to be honest with myself and said, yeah, you're right. I do have the bandwidth, but I have a fear of loss. So I'm giving these examples about emotions because wealth and access are emotions. Because what wealth really is, um, what wealth really is, is access and resources. It's, it's... It doesn't matter that you're a millionaire if being a millionaire doesn't get you access, right? It doesn't matter that you're a billionaire if billionaire doesn't get you access. All of those terms are just numerical representations of access, numerical representations of resources. So because I had a mindset of fear, I didn't want to take risks with the money. So investments, before we even get into the investment piece, you have to check your emotional connection to money. If someone told you that money doesn't grow on trees, ask yourself how that has showed up in your life. If every conversation that you're having with people is about how there's not enough money, ask yourself how that's showing up in your life, right? So I had a fear of loss, and um, it stopped me from really investing in the way that I wanted to, right? And then the second thing that was holding me back is I realized that I wasn't having positive conversations about money because it was always, oh, I ain't got it this month. Or I would love to go on that trip, but I, I can't afford it. And it wasn't coming from me. It was coming from the people around me. So it gave me the impression there's like a shortage of money, right? Even though abundance is always present, always present. And I believe that you might you have access to abundance, but you have to be audacious enough to want to go after it and tap into it. So not only do I have my own personal feelings of loss, which is stopping me from investing, I'm talking to people who have their own feelings of loss and have their own negative emotions about money. It wasn't until a few years ago that I started talking to friends and family about investing. Nobody was talking about it. Everyone was talking about how they were struggling to make ends meet about how they didn't have money in their emergency fund, about how so-and-so and such-and-such and say-and-say and, -such and, -say and them-and-them, and as a result, they just don't have it. And that starts to seed, uh, seep into your psyche and starts making you feel like you don't have a strong connection with money. So that's when I had to get over those two things and really get into the investment. So that's those two things. Make money emotional for you. Set emotional goals not just financial goals. So when I sat with my financial advisor, we broke down my portfolio into three things. It wasn't uh, macro, micro, it wasn't domestic, foreign, it was house money wedding. It was retirement and it was seed money for my law firm on the side. I broke it up emotionally. So now when the money comes out every month, I'm not like, where's that money going? I know where it's going. It's going to the dream house and the wedding. <laughs> and the retirement plan and uh, the seed money for the business. So when you are making financial and investment decisions for yourself, yes, you need to get into the weeds and say, okay, do I want 
this or do I want that? But make it emotional first. And then secondly, the other thing that was slowing me down from investing is because I was overwhelmed and didn't know which one was the right decision. Should it be the Ford stock? Should it be the Tesla stock? Should it be Pepsi or should it be Coke? And I was getting, you know, stuck in the weeds of the particular stock and the investment itself, right? And then I realized it's not a single stock. It's a series of stocks. It's your risk tolerance. It's your time horizon. And it's your purpose. Those are the four things. I'll repeat it again. It's not the single stock. Whether you get Tesla or Ford or Toyota or whatever, doesn't matter what matters right now because of the virus. But outside of that, it doesn't matter, right? It's the series of stocks that you're choosing. It's your risk tolerance. It's your time horizon, and it's the purpose. So we'll choose my first bucket, wedding and, and, and house. That, hopefully, on all the wood, please, everyone, um, is happening within a short period of time, right? So I'm not going to put that in a risky, long-term, offshore oil investment because I need that money right now, right? So what I needed to choose was something that was a little closer to home, less risky, that I could access in three to five years. That is more important than the actual individual stocks that are in there. Because in theory, when you look at all of it, the stock market on average is earning 6 to 7%. Even when it goes like this, I know it took a huge dip a couple of days ago because of all of the things that are going on with our brothers and sisters in Asia, right, and other places at this point. So it looked like, oh, it's getting bad. But trending over time, it's 6 to 7%. If you can stomach that dip every once in a while and not like go sell it off and have a, a, an attack, you're going to see 6 to 7% overall. So always remember your investments is not about the one particular stock item itself. It's going to be the, the overall health of the portfolio. So the categories, I think, are powerful because it, it, it attaches you emotionally to it. So if we recap, we're going to get into the business stuff next, but... We know that wealth is estate planning. We know that it's debt management. Um, we know that it is investments. And we know that it's property ownership, whether or not you live there, whether it's your home and you watch it escalate in value, or it's um, rental property that you own by yourself, you own with your best friend, you own with your friends, you own with your brother, your sister, it doesn't matter. So those are the four things that I have found in my 13 years of doing this type of work that really help people create wealth. And I started off with the conversation about audaciousness because in order to do these things, it requires audacious planning. It requires you to remember the definition is bold and daring and the ability to go against the grain and the ability to take risks. So when I'm talking to my clients about creating wealth, they are very strategic about it. I have a, are they Korean? I have a Korean family who have gotten together to purchase a $7 million life insurance policy on the grandmother. She's old, she's not in the best of health, and it's $7 million, so it's gonna cost them $82,000 a year. But they're all pooling their money to pay the $82,000 per year. And where does the $7 million go when she dies? Because she is going to, we're all going to. The $7 million goes into the trust. So now that's seed money for businesses. That's money that they don't have to use, they don't have to go in debt to go to school anymore, right? So these are the types of things that I'm seeing take place in other persons' communities, 
And I said, okay, it's nice that you have this corporate job and you're getting all the wealth and we really do love our bi-weekly checks and our, and our quarterly bonuses. And, but what else are you going to do with this? Because I started to feel like I don't think it's right for me to just keep this information to myself. I started to get that little nudge, right? So I'm sharing with you what I see taking place in other persons' communities. Maybe it's not a $7 million policy. Maybe it's a $300,000 policy so you can have money to bury someone and pay off the mortgage on the debt and keep the house and the family and not have to sell it back to the bank because of a foreclosure. It's little things like that that allow persons to create wealth in their community. So what I'm building now, it takes audacity, quite honestly. Just being here with you, this is audacious for me because I could have stayed on the corporate track and nobody would have blamed me, right? No one's going to say, oh, you're a slacker. You're, you have all these expensive degrees and you're going to work and you're doing this and you're doing that. What, what are you doing with your life? Nobody would have said that, right? But I started to feel that little, that voice. I don't know, I don't know if the voice comes from your love handles, but I guess it does for me. Um, I started to hear that voice, right? And the voice was saying, is this it? These checks are really nice, but what else? And I would tell the voice, leave me alone. I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't know any business owners. Nobody in my family uh, spoke about being a business owner. It was get that really respectable degree, make your money, and don't make any waves because money does not grow on trees. So I was like, please, just stop talking to me. I don't, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't know anyone who is. Um, I'm afraid of losing my money. I don't have it. And I, I used to tell myself this, I don't have anything that anyone would pay me for. <clears throat> Look at me talking about estate and tax planning, and I told myself that I didn't have anything that someone would pay me for, right? So I had to break through that and be audacious enough to set up what it is that I'm building right now. So I told that voice to leave me alone, and you know what the voice did? It started talking to other people to tell me, right? So now, it would say, what's your name, ma'am? Imani. Imani. It would whisper to Imani, and I would be minding my business at the gym with Imani, and Imani would, Imani would say, have you thought of starting a law firm? I'm like, damn, she's reading my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> because eventually the voice says, all right, you're not paying, you're not, you're not serious about this. I'm going to talk to other people to pour it into your life. So don't think it's a coincidence when someone says something that you were thinking. Don't think it's a coincidence when someone agrees with you on something that you are wrestling with. Because that's the voice saying, I told you that two years ago, but <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell it to the stranger that you met on the A train, and maybe that'll feel more powerful because it'll feel more random. So don't underestimate that. So because of that, I started to make really bold and audacious moves. And sometimes a bold move is just Choose a name for your business and register so someone else doesn't take it. Sometimes an audacious move is, I can sacrifice $65 a month to put into a checking account for seed money for my business. Don't underestimate proximity. Sometimes audaciousness is just being around the thing that you're trying to get to. I live on the floor with a gentleman who's married to the cousin of Nadia Lopez. I don't think that's an accident. Right? I went to a networking event and met a woman who has a direct connection to the Essence Music Festival because one of my New Year's things was I want to speak at Essence. 
I meet a girl six weeks later who talks at excellence and is willing to hook me up. I don't know if it'll happen, but if it does, you'll see me on the gram, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't underestimate proximity because sometimes we think I need to have this really detailed three-year, five-year, seven-year, nine-year plan. I sometimes don't even know what's going on two weeks from now, right? So just be in the proximity of something, and I think that goes a long way. Lastly, I want to tell you about this advice that I got from someone a long time ago. I don't even know her name. I would recognize her if I saw her on the street, but I don't know her name. And I think this was right out of law school. I was somewhere. I was at a friend of a friend's house, and we were all having a conversation. And she said, and I don't even believe she was talking to me directly. I think I just overheard her talking to someone else. And she said, the purpose of education is not just to work for someone else, it's to build something for yourself and your community. And I said, who is she talking to? <laughs> and I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. But I'm out of law school, I have massive amount of debt. I had a over, over $150,000 of debt. That's from law school and undergrad. So I heard her say it, but I didn't think it could apply to me because I wasn't in a space where I thought of being an entrepreneur. And that's okay. You might be in a space where you're hearing these things and you're saying, I hear what you're saying, Lil, but I'm not there. But if it touched you and it tugged at you, hold on to that seed. Because when you add some fertilizer to that, a.k.a. audaciousness, it will turn into something amazing. So I heard her say this. And I said, okay, let me tuck that in the back of my mind. I can't do it right now because I have bills to pay and I have this really good 401k and I have this and I have this title and I have this office, right? So I couldn't do it there, but it always stuck with me. So don't underestimate the value of the seeds that people plant in your lives because it may not turn into something now, but it will eventually turn into something. And I'll tell you that another part of being audacious is sometimes – you can't include everyone. My parents don't know that I'm doing this because they would absolutely freak out. They would absolutely freak out. My mother would say, I remember when I was going to law school, my mother said, they don't hire, nobody hires black women attorneys. This is how she, she, she thought that because, you know, that's the narrative on the street. You know, there are no such thing as like black high-powered attorneys. So if she knew that I was starting my own firm, she would say, oh, my gosh, she would start praying and sending me rosary beads and all that, right? So sometimes audaciousness means you are doing it. You can tell certain people, but don't be afraid to keep some things to yourself because people inadvertently will stop you from getting your own blessings. And not because they're like, Whoa, ha, 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 let me stop her, but a lot of times it's because they're only coming from a place of their own conditioning. And I've been conditioned for a long time. It's why I didn't start investing in the stock market until three years ago. I've been doing this work for 13 years, and I started investing three years ago, ago because I had a conditioning of fear. So now I have to let go of the people that perpetuate the conditioning of fear. And that takes a lot of audaciousness and a lot of, a lot of remembering the stories that I told my mom. Like, what did I tell her last week? I'm not even lie because I don't remember a lot of things, right? So that's what I wanted to share with you all today. And my hope is that not only do you think about ways to create wealth in your own communities, whether you're a business owner or not, but you have that spirit of audaciousness because I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, even if you cannot act on it at this very moment, this year, next year, or five years from now, if something has touched you, just protect the seed. You don't have to work on 
you know, germinating into something. Just protect the seed because when you start living your audacious life, I promise you it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Wealth of information. I used to work in a hedge fund, right? Let me tell you. Information is more important than the money. Most people want money. Oh my gosh, the money. Oh no. It's the wealth. I mean, I'm sorry. It's the information that you get. If you know how to apply the information that you're getting, everybody will be wealthy. She just gave some information. I don't know. She, this girl sits with a lot of people who are very wealthy. She's giving you information, inside information. We won't need to say that inside information. Uh, <laughs> information. Yes, yes, yes. Information that you guys can utilize. With that, let me uh, let me not because you know I can I can going for days. Um, okay, I have some questions here. I'm also going to take some questions from the audience as well, so be prepared. Um, but before I begin, hold on. Hold on. Let's see what we got here for okay. you. I have some hard questions here. You guys are ready for some serious questions? I'm going to sit here like Denzel Washington. Oh, Denzel. Denzel. Yeah, Denzel. Denzel. Um, let's see. Denzel. Anyways, um, powerful questions right here. Who are your pop up three R&B artists? <laughs> okay, all right. And I don't want anybody at me, okay? Because these are facts. Whitney Houston is number one. Yes. Uh, Whitney Houston is also number two. Yes. <laughs> Just making sure no one wants to debate me on that. And then I'm going to go with the man, so I'm going to go with Luther Vandross. Luther. Oh, okay. Okay, my, my, my. Johnny. Johnny. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was thinking Johnny Gill. It's the range. It's the range. Whitney's I'm so voice. sorry. I don't think sorry. we've heard a voice like Whitney's since Whitney. I mean, they're nice, beautiful voices, but it's Whitney. Yeah. Okay, so I have another question. Please. This is March on the lighter side for you. Okay, how would you define wealth? Is it a particular dollar amount? It's not a dollar amount. I think I spoke to it earlier in that wealth is really um, freedom of debt and access. I would say that. So sometimes, and I, I don't like the number amount because wealth is all about not having debt and, and access. So maybe someone who's wealthy in Iowa has a different number than someone who's wealthy in Upper Montclair. So I wouldn't tell the Iowa person, oh, you're not wealthy because you don't have Upper Montclair money. Right? I'm going to tell the Iowa person you're wealthy because you don't have debt. You have access to do the things that you want to do, not only for yourself, but for the next generation. So wealth also has the ability. Wealth, to me, means you have the ability to leave someone something. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is a personal question. Okay. Uh, black generational wealth. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think black African-Americans should start doing 
or that they're not doing that they should start doing? Um, a lot of African Americans lose our wealth in our homes, meaning we don't properly title it and pass it on to the next person, and it kind of just disappears. Um, someone can come in and take it because it wasn't properly um, deeded. It wasn't passed on to the next person. A lot of persons' wealth is going to sit in their retirement plan, but then the next asset is going to be your primary residence. So if you can just engage in some basic estate planning to make sure that your property passes properly, that will start wealth building. And if you can have someone that has that vision and can pass it on to the next generation, that is going to be our strongest um our strongest headwind because wealth planning I know we like to break it down into like racial categories but wealth planning is the same for everyone right. estate planning is the same for everyone when we talk about wealth planning in our community it's just so that we can get into the habit of having these conversations instead of telling kids money doesn't grow on trees tell them money does grow on trees let me show you how to plant them that's what I think we're having. The numbers and the science and the economics of it are the same for all communities. It's just the language that we use when we talk to ourselves about it. Because wealth seems to be something that other people can have, but we can't have. Right. Which is not true. Right. So it's a conversation changer, right. really. Right. Yeah. And, and would you say, it's, I mean, essentially by you speaking, you know, I've always been a, I mean, I'm Nigerian, right? And by, you know, you got to work like 13 jobs. Uh, probably, probably more. Um, and if you're not a doctor or, or something, you have to be working. You have, you have failed your parents. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, would you suggest anyone or anyone? Let's say I'm not an entrepreneur, right? Would you Would you suggest or advise them to start thinking about those ideas that that they may be sleeping on or or what do you? What would you suggest? Because you deal with a lot of people who walked into being rich. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. what would you advise them if they don't know anything about right. entrepreneurship? Or um, great question. Every client that I have has a roundtable of people that they talk to about these Ooh. concepts, right? Roundtable. Yeah, they oh do. My gosh. They have a roundtable. So let's say I really like the idea of creating stools, right? I don't really know anything about it. I don't know how to get good wood or all of this stuff. But if I get you and the persons in the front row and we put our minds around it and we can all talk about each other's goals, maybe your goal is sweaters, mine are the tables, yours are velvet hats, yours are leather boots, and we can get together and talk about it and research and meet on at least a monthly basis, that's how my clients have created wealth. They've no, nobody has done it by themselves. Nobody just said, oh, I'm, I just planted money. Can I give an amen to that one? Oh, my gosh. I don't mind. I just, you just touched on something. that I, Coming together as a culture. You Did you hear what she just said? Together. Nobody does it by themselves. We live in a culture that is very self Yes. So, oh, I did this by myself. Yes. Oh. <laughs> no, that is the wrong. That's not true. I think it's the very, I, I have a lot of um, Jewish friends. Mm -hmm. They work community they together. And that's why I gave the, the example about the Korean family. I don't really like that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Because 
usually the persons who are saying that don't talk about the behind the scenes assistance that they're getting. Oh my gosh, talk you talk girl. They're not they're not talking about they're not talking about the seed money that was yep. given to them that says, even yep. if your business doesn't fail, you don't have to pay me back. Yep. Or any of that stuff. So while someone is telling you, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you are driving yourself crazy trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, they didn't tell you that someone gave them a $27,000 loan that they don't even have to pay back. Right? So that's why I'm sharing this information because I've seen it. And I was like, oh, so... All of this, not all of it, but a good amount of it is just, you know, yes. chatter. It's not actually what's happening behind the scenes. So get yourself a round table of persons who are like-minded, who where you guys can be honest about money and your hang-ups about money, and then also be honest about your dreams and, and push each other to those dreams. So it may not come to fruition today, even if it's 10 years from now, 15 years from now. A dream that happens in 15 years is better than a dream that never happens. Yeah. Wow, she's leaning on me right now on us right now um let me just add this place this place is going to be able to facilitate that okay and this is why we're doing this for those dreams that you guys have we want that place to be here SEMP are very great and i mean i'm an entrepreneur developer i bring those things to life i want those dreams to happen for you and for the people that are around you Anyways, um, that was short and commercial. Um, anyways, um, I'm going to take questions from the audience. Three. Three. Okay, I have one here. I'm going to take one. That's one. Two. One more. Going once. Three. All right. Okay. You, you're going to introduce yourself? Sure. Okay. Yeah. You, you need a mic? Um, no, I think I'm okay. Um, okay. My name is Natalie. Hi, Natalie. I actually do PR. Yeah. Okay. Just in case. Thanks. Um, I actually do PR. Um, for financial services companies, okay. so, and this is a new position, so I'm like still learning, a, and financial literacy is definitely something that I think is an issue in the community, yes. it's definitely a lot, and it's definitely um, a different language, right. um, but I quickly want to ask, oh, I have two questions, let me see, um, I guess in terms of investing, like you mentioned, like mm -hmm. investing in things such as stock or like real estate, right. that is one way of investing, but like a lot of entrepreneurs, you're doing, you're investing in yourself. Right. So, like, what does that look like? So, okay, I'm putting in money, I'm saving money for my own business, saving money for like a clothing line. But what does that look like? The same way, if you're investing in something outside, are you creating plans for yourself? Are you creating spreadsheets? Like, right. what does that really look like? So, great question. Thank you, Miss Natalie. Yes. Yes. So, for me, investing in my business has not only included having the seed money. That's just for the business, but it also includes, and I know not everyone can do this, but it also includes investing in my development as a business owner. I do not know what it is like to own a business. I have been trained to work for someone else. So I have hired a business coach who works with me on a bi-weekly basis to help me set quarterly goals. And when I have that little voice that says, you shouldn't even be doing this, or so-and-so's doing it, and they look like they're doing it better than you, or they look like they're having an easier time than you, and that voice tries to sabotage me. My voice, my coach comes in and says, let's figure out why you're having these uh, self-sabotaging conversations, and let's get into sticking to your goals. So investing for business owners will also be investing on how to do your business, because there's this book. There's this book. It's... Uh, <laughs> 
If you are an entrepreneur, you should get this book. It is, forgive me, but it talks about the difference between, I know I'm going to think about it later, knowing how to, working on your business and in your business. For example, let's say I'm a good baker. I am not. Let's say I'm a good baker. So I'm going to say, oh, I'm really good at baking cupcakes, so I should open a bakery. That's not true. I know how to bake cupcakes, but I don't know how to run a cupcake business. So the best investment you can do is, yes, get the highest quality ingredients and all the sugar and the really cute name and all of that, but invest in how to run that business. That is what sabotages most business owners because they're thinking, I just, I picked all the great cookies and my families love my cupcakes and my friends ordered every Christmas, but you don't even know how to invoice. That's what you need to invest in as an entrepreneur, how to run your business. Yes. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Um, in terms, I was just talking about this. Um, in terms the of. The E Myth. Uh, uh -huh. e That's the book. The E Myth. It's called The E Myth. E stands for entrepreneur. It's the entrepreneur myth that if you're good at X, you can open a business based on X. Mm. That's the myth. Oh, interesting. Yes. Um, in terms of advisors, so like financial advisors, wealth advisors, a lot of them are old white men. Um, so based on your experience, what have you noticed in terms of, I guess, new people of color who are coming into wealth? Like, is there ever like an issue dealing with their financial advisors because they don't understand the wealth they're trying to pass down within their community? I have not run into that. And I'm probably fortunate because I've been working in the financial services industry for a while, and I know a lot of persons who are not older and non-melanated. <laughs> um, diverse you know, financial advisors. There is a community of financial advisors of color who have these conversations all the time. And it may not be you know, the commercial that you see during the Super Bowl, so it sounds like it looks like it's not happening but it definitely exists, and if you would like, I can put you in, point you in the right direction with respect to those people, because we are having, this generation of millennials are having these conversations more than our parents have the conversations. So the clubs, the Instagram groups, the Facebook groups, the roundtable groups, they, are, they all exist, and it's growing, but it exists. And so my advisor is a white woman, but she's my age. So she understands the things that I'm trying to create. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes it's trial and error with your financial advisor. You might sit with someone and you feel like, I don't really like what's happening here. I don't feel heard and encouraged. And you just go to another financial advisor. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. I have a young lady here. Thank you. Say your name. Yep. Hi, everyone. My name is Tracy Thomas. Hi, Miss Tracy. Um, this is my husband, Bosco Brown. Hi, Bosco. Uh, together, we are real estate investors, and we're also building an education company to help uh, millennial black folks uh, invest in multifamily income properties. Wonderful. Thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> so I have, I'm kind of going to cheat because I have multiple questions, so I'm going to try to put them all into one. Um, one of the things that has been sort of... Uh, daunting as we build business is investing in uh, professional services, legal, um, mm -hmm. those sort of things. And just, and, and it's more of a unknown of like how much are these things supposed to cost versus how much people are charging, right. what should your upfront investment be, what do you need to pay for versus what can you just Google. Right. Um, so I wonder if you could speak a little bit to 
sort of, um, I guess my specific question would be specifically in terms of like estate planning, mm -hmm. taxes. What should someone be looking for as an entry point into, to, we want to get our estate, we want to have some estate planning done. What can we look to pay? Thank you. That's a fantastic question because it comes up very often because no one wants to feel like they're paying too much for something, right? So we'll talk about with estate planning. Definitely you want someone who is an estate planning attorney because you have a lot of people who maybe do real estate but sometimes create wills. Um, they do business law and sometimes create trust. You want someone that specifically does estate planning at least for 50% of the time of, of their practice, right? So you want that firstly and foremost. Secondly, you want to work with someone that you like. We really need to stop working with people that we're not comfortable with because this person is growing with your family. They're growing with your business. You're going back to them to update your documents and tell them, hey, I have a baby, I have a grandbaby, I have a new house, I have a second house. And if every time you go to their office, you're like, oh God, how long is this gonna take? Then you're working with the wrong person. So never underestimate the power of working with someone that you like. Thirdly, you want someone who's responsive. Now, depending upon their area, I know we're all busy, I get busy too. Sometimes people call me to the carpet and say, hey Lily, I emailed you three days ago, where have you been? But on general, you want someone to be responsive to you because you don't want to feel like they just took your money and ran and now they don't answer your follow-up questions. So if this person actually does this type of work, um, you like them and they're responsive, that's a good person. Price point, the five documents that I mentioned, it really depends upon the geographic area. The attorney that's in Iowa will cost far less than the attorney that has a glass office building in Manhattan. But the five documents, the total package will range anywhere between 2000 and 7000 So if you can find someone, whether it's me or someone else, that can do that for you, you're within that price range, you're not being gouged. So don't feel like, oh, my friend paid 3500 why did I pay 5500 Maybe because the person that has a $3,500 practice doesn't have an admin. And maybe that's also why it takes them longer to get back to your friend. Whereas your $5,500 attorney has an admin so they can be more responsive. So you have to take those things into consideration. It's not just the flat fee. It's the overall service that they're providing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, all right, second question, can I? I know, yes. I, okay. <laughs> um, so um, many of us in this room are, may, uh, although we are African Americans in by birth, um, come from parentage outside of the country. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you could speak a little bit to estate planning for international, uh, mm -hmm. you know, legacy. So I have, yes. you know, my parents are from the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. My father owns property. Um, has that old school Caribbean, mm -hmm. if I, as soon as I write my will, I'm going to die, so I'm not going to write one. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's, just, but recommends that everyone has a will, <laughs> but not have one itself. Right. Um, yeah, and then, and then uh, you mentioned about the Korean um, life insurance policy, and that's something we've been talking about several times. Well. Uh -huh. So just speaking to that stigma of like the thought process of sort of Caribbean or, or right. diasporan parents, right. and um, how we can, what kind of conversations or are there workarounds mm -hmm. to be effective um, with their properties that they're not thinking about? Right. Like Great question. So. Let me address it in this way. The question that you're asking is not just for our Caribbean and African parents, it's for everyone, because all of this involves a conversation about when you are not going to be here. And that makes everyone feel uncomfortable. 
death makes everyone feel uncomfortable. So when I talk about my will, they think they're expediting the reaper. When I talk about life insurance, they think, I'm like, that's not how any of this works. Because <laughs> I, I dreamt about being a billionaire, and I woke up to no billions. So that's you can't just work it like that. So I have to tell everyone that it's just an uncomfortable topic, firstly and foremost, across all cultural diasporas. Um, in terms of international planning, that comes up a lot. And I always tell my clients, if you are a U.S. citizen here, um, your estate planning has to be worldwide, meaning if you have assets in anywhere else in the globe, the U.S. is counting that. So I have a lot of clients who say, I have a home in Bermuda, but they don't know about it. Yes, they do know about it because they see that you fly to Bermuda every six months, but you don't get a hotel. Where are you staying? You know? Oh, I have a business in Hong Kong, but they don't know about that. <laughs> yes, they do know about that. So if we're talking about assets that are located outside of our home or even outside of the U.S., then it becomes dual planning where usually it's going to be there's a treaty that exists between the U.S. and that country. So you don't have to do double work. But you do have to be cognizant of the laws of that particular place. So where are your parents from? Dominica. Dominica. So then I would look into, will Dominica recognize a U.S. will? Because if they can or they do, then we only have to do one. If we need to have a Dominican will, then I need to reach out to a Dominican attorney because I can't practice there. You know what I mean? So if it's a place that has a treaty with the U.S. where one set of documents will satisfy both domestic and abroad issues, then we can certainly do that. Um, and then there was another question about how do you get them to do planning. I was an attorney for about seven years before my family finally did estate planning. I said, you guys are really making me look bad. Like, where, where's your will? Where's your stuff? I had to physically go to Rhode Island. That's where they're located. I went to Providence, Rhode Island, and I took them to the attorney's office. And I said, I'm not trying to take your stuff. In fact, rest assured, most of this will be sold. I am trying to make it easier for me and my siblings because when you're not here, not only am I boohooing, but I'm going through your cluttered bedroom looking for documents. And when I said that, my mom was like, she looked at her cluttered bedroom and she said, you right. So you have to stay on top of them about not that you are trying to hasten death or take their stuff. You are trying to grieve and be efficient. I have to grieve you, but I also have to be efficient, mom, dad, grandma, granddad. And that's how they were able to kind of let go of the reins a little bit. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you're you so welcome. Much. You're so welcome. And so this gentleman had a question here with the camera. Last one. Uh, how you doing? Hi. Uh, Hi, Terrence. Uh, my question was really just about um, like your manifestation techniques, like you talked about setting your intentions um, and a lot of the you know intentions that you set happening for you. So I really was just curious about that. Yes, so that's been part of my personal development, I would say, for the past four or five years. You don't have to do it this way, but I'm an early morning riser, like, like 4.30 early. I know not everyone is about that life, but that's okay. Whenever you have time in the day, my goal is to, okay, let me take a step back and do a broad answer. I manifest by feeling the feelings I want to have when I accomplish that thing. Right? So let's say 
my on my manifestation table it was to sit up here and be interviewed by you and be recorded and turn yeah. this to a podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So the feeling I would have is pride that I'm giving you all this information. Right? So I start feeling that pride today. I didn't even meet Essie and Pete and Dare before I started feeling the pride of sitting here and having this conversation. So you feel the feelings of the thing you're trying to accomplish first, in my opinion. Because a lot of us are waiting to feel good about it. We're waiting for the invitation and the phone call. And if it doesn't come, then we don't move. But if I already have the feeling in me and I'm, I'm, I'm souping myself, that's an old word, <laughs> gassing myself up about it, then I can already feel it right now. So I feel the feelings of the thing that I'm trying to accomplish right here and now. Then I write it down and then I talk, to a, talk about it with maybe one, max two people so that they can be in agreement with me. So now I'm feeling what I'm feeling. I've written it down, AKA I've set the intention. And sometimes writing it down doesn't have to be really um, thorough. Like I said at the top of the year, I said I would really love to kind of maybe sit on a panel at Essence Music Festival. That's all I said. And then I met someone a couple of weeks ago, we're having a conversation about that in a few more weeks. So I write it down and then I talk about it with someone else. That goal that I just shared with you, I have already shared it with my executive business coach. So now he and I are in agreement about essence and I'm already feeling excited about essence. That's how I'm manifesting the stuff in my life. You're welcome. Well, with that said, uh, can we give a round of applause? Thank you so much. Oh my God. This podcast series is meant to uplift not only you, the listener but the amazing organization that makes it possible. Donate by texting Diff Wind Down to 44321 and help development further its mission of re-empowering people of African descent, one student at a time. Sign up for event and podcast reminders by visiting development.org backslash newsletter. Thank you and stay tuned.